1: right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it, so can you? Try Peloton bikes, tread or row risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com/home-trial.
2: Okay, you might look at the title of this episode and think, "Is this one for me?" Hmm. Okay, drum fills. Don't really know much about them. Don't think I care. But you do. And you do. And you do. There are some that you know. And there are some that you don't know that you know. And Clint and I are here to tell you that without them, some of the great songs of all time would not be quite so great. This episode is a celebration of the mysterious and sometimes subliminal impact a brilliant drum fill can have. And how it can be a portal to another dimension. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like Car Talk meets Behind the Music. Ooh, Clint, I like that. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart
3: people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the greatest drum fill of all time?
2: That's the age-old question. <laughs> Let's just start with the most famous one of all, I, I think. As a way to yeah. bring our listeners into this random but ultimately very satisfying conversation. Yes. Recorded in
0: nineteen eighty
2: at Townhouse Studio in London. Phil Collins in the air tonight. Now I mentioned it was recorded in 1980 because the drum sound was so distinct that it popularized a new sound in music, a drum sound that would become the sound of the 1980s in a lot of ways. So producer Hugh Padgham who, by the way, was a legendary producer, especially in the 1980s and 90s, producing Phil Collins, The Police, Sting, Genesis, McCartney, Elton John, just to name a few. But in early 1980, Padgham was working with Peter Gabriel. Steve Lillywhite was producing, and Padgham was engineering the session. Phil Collins was playing drums on the session for his old Genesis bandmate. There was a new feature in the control room, a listen-in mic, which was the mic that was hanging in the room where the musicians were playing, that allowed the producer and the engineer to hear the ambient noise in the room. And that was accidentally left on, and it picked up the sound of Phil Collins' snare drum. This mic significantly compressed the sound, which sort of cuts off the reverberation of the snare sound really abruptly. So rather than letting it fade away, it gates it. Gates it, yep. And as I mentioned, that is the sound that becomes the defining sound of that decade of popular music in a lot of ways. All right, now on to the drum fill in in the air tonight. There's no actual drums for the first two minutes of the song. It's this fairly ominous synth chord progression played on something called the Sequential Circuits Prophet 5 over a simple drum machine pattern played on a Roland CR-78. So simple, yeah, yeah. And then... Let's talk about the song a little bit more. It was obviously a huge hit, but the song is pretty dark. If you read the lyrics, you wouldn't necessarily think it would translate to massive success. Very interesting. He was going through a divorce when he wrote the lyrics, which came quite spontaneously, apparently, and he says he's not really sure what the lyrics are about.
4: Seen your face before my friend but i don't know, if you know who i am
2: but he submitted the song for consideration for a genesis album in 1979 and the band said no huh they rejected the song
3: wow fools fools <laughs> One of my favorite things ever was watching The Tonight Show a couple years ago. Phil Collins comes on wearing a black Izod polo shirt, collar up, doing like the 30th anniversary or whatever it was. And Questlove got to play drums for In the Air Tonight. And you just see he's got this like smile on his face. that's just unbelievable waiting for that Phil. And everybody knew everybody knows it's coming it was such a beautiful moment
0: because
4: well, it
3: obviously it's 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 got to be the most well-known drum fill of all time right? And that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about drum parts
2: that have become things that you actually sing. Right. Or maybe... you hit
3: your steering wheel when you're driving. Do-doom, do-doom, right? Yeah, right. It also is one of those things where you're like, do a Phil Collins type fill, Right. Or do a Ringo type fill, Or do a Stuart Copeland type fill, Right. They have their own thing and they become so legendary. But this one, it's just a beautiful moment to watch Quest love. Do it because his whole life he's been waiting for this moment, and everybody in the band knew he's it was waiting coming. For this moment. He's all this all
5: life. his
4: life, amazing!
5: It just happened. <laughs> that just <I> <laughs> happened. <laughs> so,
3: anyway, that's that's a great, great moment in that song's history. Talk to me about a, an iconic drum fill one of the greats of all time all right my first one is going to be from queen roger taylor Mm -hmm. fat bottom girls and it's at two minutes and 50 seconds it's just epic
4: so that's like
3: two full measures of drum fill So one of the things we're going to talk today about is, first of all, what is a drum fill? A drum fill is a part that the drummer plays that's not necessarily part of the groove or the feel of the song. It's an embellishment, a flourish that takes the song away from the groove so that when it comes back, it feels better. Or it feels like a new thing. Right? That was a great way to describe it. They can be as simple as one snare hit. It could just be crack, douche, right? Or and it can be... Like in the, the case of Queen, this two-measure, you know, it just keeps going forever. And some of the ones that I chose today are long, epic drum fills. And then some are just the most simple thing that is done so well that you can't help but love it, e- even if you don't even know it's there. Right. Like some of these. So that's my first one, Queen, Fat Bottom Girls. <gasps>
4: All oh, down beside that red
5: firelight.
2: All right, I found a piece on the site onlinedrummer.com. Okay. You know, probably all of our listeners. Yeah, you oh. love that place. The article is by a guy named Nate Brown, and he asked the question, what is a drum fill really? Huh. Great title. I'm leaning in, Nate. Go on. He says, many drummers believe a drum fill is their spotlight time, like a mini solo designed to showcase the drummer, but it's not. Drum fills play many roles, but we can boil all those roles down to one core function to make the music more engaging. Please notice that I didn't say to make the drum part more engaging. So the person that does that better than anyone in the history of music is Ringo. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ringo for a few minutes. It. We've talked about him a bunch on these episodes, and we both agree he's the perfect song drummer. Mm-hmm. In other words, doing just what Nate Brown from OnlineDrummer.com is talking about that is, to make the music more engaging. Throughout the Beatles catalog, there's an incredible number of examples of great Ringo fills. I wanna mention just a few. In 1966, the Beatles put out a single and a B-side. The A-side was Paperback Writer and the B-side was Rain. What made them startling, other than being killer tracks, for starters, neither song was about a romantic relationship. One was about a novelist. And the other was, well, about weather. the The next thing is the sound of these tracks. McCartney's bass.
4: If the rain comes, they run and hide their heads.
2: And Ringo's drums. They were both recorded on April 16th, 1966 and they were recorded louder than previous Beatles songs due to a new piece of gear that their genius engineer Jeff Emmerich had discovered. The Automatic Transient Overload Control, the ATOC as it was abbreviated, pushed the dB levels to the max, and its effect was astonishing. Another Emmerich innovation, stuffing a wool sweater inside Ringo's bass drum and miking it closer than ever before. Another couple gems from Ringo, the fill in Strawberry Fields Forever.
4: Let me take you down. And how about... Living is easy with eyes closed Misunderstanding all you see It's getting hard to be someone but it all works out
2: How about a day in the
4: life?
2: These fills would seem distracting, and yet they're not.
4: They'd seen his face before.
2: Writing in a drum magazine, a guy named Joe Basso explains. Lesser drummers might have approached Lennon's first verses with a straight beat, but Ringo treats them as musical theater. Well-placed, well-spaced tomflers played on low-tuned calfskin heads and drenched with echo. They sound like a timpani in a concert hall, contrasting with the spine-tingling effect of Lennon's detached, almost otherworldly
3: vocals. We talk a lot about Ringo. I mean, every song, really. And whenever you talk to drummers, they're always like, it's because he's left-handed... I remember Russ talking to us about that. His fills are legendary because they're slightly behind the beat because he has to cross his hands over in a different way. And it's really hard to recreate unless you're doing it with the wrong hand. Wrong in quotes. Right. But um, yeah, it, it, this, this whole episode could be about Ringo's fills. Let's go to John Bonham for a second. Because okay. John Bonham has some of the most epic fills of all time. Specifically, the intro to good times bad times
5: oh, so good so
3: i love the beginning of the song because it's just perfectly arranged starts with just a click then the double time click and then the cowbell and then that fill it's the hesitation in that fill that does it it's just like it got, uh, it's like
2: tumbling. That's a great call because you're right. You have to play long to that drum fill. Yeah,
3: it's part of the DNA of the song. Agreed. How about the one we talked about in our drummer episode? A whole lot of love. We talked about it
2: with Steve Hattica. It builds tension for that ultimate release of the one. Right. And that's what drums fills That's what a do. drum fill does. Yeah, it's
3: supposed to elevate. Bonham was a master at that, too.
2: Another guy we talked about was Keith Moon. Mm-hmm. And Keith Moon had some incredible fills. Yeah. I'm thinking of two minutes and 22 seconds into Bob O'Reilly, a drum fill that, in one full measure, captures what a drum fill is all about and what Keith Moon's playing is all about. Love it. It's so Another iconic drum fill from Keith Moon is seven minutes, thirty one seconds into Won't Get Fooled Again. Let's listen.
5: Nice.
3: So I have a couple. Okay. That are great fills based on the sound of the drum itself okay in addition to just being badass playing yeah but the sound of never gonna give you up by rick astley the introduction to this song oh my god what the heck is even like That's so it's so legendary it's legendary yeah In the same way, here's the beginning of Michael Jackson's The Way You Make Me Feel. I mean, is that the same sound or what? Interesting. Same year. It's a Lin 9000 was used for the drums in Never Gonna Give You Up. This article suggests that the Lin 9000 was used on The Way You Make Me Feel. Okay. Same drum machine. The same year, 1987. Literally the same. Yeah. Which makes sense. One song is better than the other. One song is better. <laughs> I'll let you decide which one it is.
2: What about how the song Only the Good Die Young starts?
3: it's oh, like weird it's too It's so weird
2: Oh man It's hard to find the one Yeah
3: that is not even Can you do
2: another take for me? Yeah. I don't think uh, you got think that clear I it Comes
4: down might as well be the one Well they showed you a statue Told you to pray They built you a temple And locked you away Ah oh, but they never told you The price that you pay. The things that you might have done
2: That's cool. It's cool. They left
6: it. They loved it.
2: What about uh, Young Americans by David Bowie?
5: That's a good one.
3: So good.
4: That's amazing.
2: I feel like there's got to be
3: a couple Bob Marley songs that start with a good drum fill. Uh, All of them? Yeah, so many.
2: Oh, that fill right there. <laughs> that is
3: the thing about a good drum fill is it doesn't have to be fast. No. I got one to talk about. Phil Rudd is the drummer for ACDC. It's right? mon- ironic ironic. <laughs> His name's <is> Phil Rudd. <laughs> drum Phil Rudd. I see what you did there. It took me a second. <laughs> The thing about playing ACDC is, if you're the drummer of an ACDC tribute band, it's not very flashy. Hmm. There's not much to it. But listen to the drums in Back in Black. Straight ahead. Right. And then... Right? Playing with the guitar, it's more of a drum part than a drum fill, but it's so critical to understanding how the song is played. Back back!
2: I I know- Let's call Jeff Simons. I love it. Jeff.
0: Yes, friends.
2: This week's question is, what is the greatest drum fill of all time?
0: <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's impossible! It's <laughs> impossible, <laughs> impossible. Okay, um, I think the whole last minute and a half of Manic Depression by Mitch Mitchell. Oh yeah, where he starts going doing ba din da da ba it for like a minute and a half. <clears mumbles> That's insane. Uh, The break in We'll Get Fooled Again at the end where Keith takes over after it gets quiet for a really long time and gets back up. That's probably Keith Moon's best moment. What about the first 30 seconds of rock and roll? Zeppelin.
3: Yes, we talked about that in the previous episode.
2: That's part of this story, right? It's like parts that become... Hooks. Hooks themselves.
0: Right. The first snare drum on Like a Rolling Stone, that like gunshot crack!
4: Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. Do the bumps of dime in your prime.
0: Then you. That's pretty great. And
4: it's, it's
3: just one hit. hit. But it's, yeah. But it, it, it sets the whole song up so well. It's one of my complaints about
0: modern recordings is that because people are putting the vocals so far out front, anything that pulls focus from the vocal is anathema and they pull it out. and So you have these really bland, like three minute backing tracks instead of those like great recordings where each player picks a moment and pulls a tiny bit of focus so that the seventh time you listen, it's worth hearing it again, you know? anything Stuart Copeland does on a police single yeah like all of those and all his his ride cymbal work anything Kenny Arnoff did on a John Cougar Mellencamp song oh. in the mid 80s like, I... that guy's phenomenal oh,
3: you just made Clint's day I loved seeing him because he throw his hand way up in the air as, you know and then all the way down for the snare oh he's such a yep. legend
4: little black houses for you and oh yeah
2: Jeff, thank you for joining us as always on yes. the Age Question. As always a pleasure. You guys are covering a lot of impressive ground in this season. I think the questions get better. We rely on your wisdom always. Always. Talk to you soon. Take care,
4: guys. Bye Jeff. Bye. He's got a breezy hair, breezy smile. That says This must be my destination.
2: Do you have any others before we go to the greatest of all time? I'd like to just say a couple.
3: Okay. Creep by Radiohead. There's an example of like, there's nothing to it, but it's sick. Right? You don't even hear that. It elevates that vocal moment. Yeah. Sends it.
2: How about smells like teen spirit? So Nirvana and this is Dave Grohl. This playing. is Dave Grohl. That's an example of a a drum fill that could not be any easier. Like nope. anyone who picks up drumsticks could play that. Yep, fill. But it's
3: And he's just wailing on the drums. That
2: makes that song. So in this conversation about the greatest drum fills of all time, Clint, I think I'm prepared to give my final answer. Lock it in. Okay, wow. And this drummer has a few songs that could be considered. His name is Gary Malibur. Now, Clint, you worked with Gary when making a grift record, what was this, 20 years ago?
3: Yep, 2004.
2: So So almost almost 20 20 years ago. But listeners to the show, even sophisticated music fans, might not know his name. Yeah. Gary Malibur. Yep. In his career, he's worked with The Grift. Yep. And also people like Van Morrison. Yes. Springsteen. Yes. Peter Frampton. Yes. The Beach Boys. Yes. John Lennon. Yes. Bonnie Raitt. Yes. Bob Seger. Barbara Streisand. Warren Zevon. Eddie Money. Yes. But his most iconic drumming. And the drumming that I think the listeners of this show will recognize. He was the Steve
3: Miller band drummer for years and years and years. Let's play some of our favorite Gary Malibur, Fly Like an Eagle. Ah, just that beginning, man. love that
2: love fly like an eagle in the summer of 1976 in fact the month that I was born this next song came out and it peaked at number 11 on the billboard hot 100 take the money and run So in the first 15 seconds, you've got a whole bunch of drum fills. Yeah.
3: I mean, he wrote that part, so let's ask him... Wow. I can't wait to talk to him. I haven't talked to him for 18 years.
2: Let's talk about a couple more songs before we get him on the line. A number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 Rockin' it. I mean, just the way that song starts. album Book of Dreams, released in May 1977,
3: how about Swingtown? Fade in. Oh, it's so good, man. (laughs) I haven't heard this in a really long time. Intro. 45 seconds before the voice comes in.
4: Right here. That's super good. It's super good. So, so, so good. Yeah. We've been working so hard. Jungle Love.
3: So good. It's like, it's like, Frantic, man. It's like, I, met you it's just like... <gasps> I don't think it gets better than that. No, and, and that's just with Steve Miller band. I mean, we can listen to like guy did it for decades. Well, let's ask him about these incredible drum parts and his career generally. Yeah, can't wait. Welcome to the age-old question,
7: Gary Maliber how are you sir it's been a good 20 years almost i believe you guys are in burlington am i correct yep exactly right my goodness the recording wheels still are spinning today's episode
3: is about drum fills and you (laughs) are one of the masters of the drum fill first of all gary what function
7: does a drum fill serve Boy, that is, that is uh, we can. I can give you a multitude of answers, but for me, it's just it's connective tissue. It's uh, compositional. You read the song, you play the song, and that fill becomes part of its its motion. We're, you're telling a story, and you're part of the wheel. When you get hired for a session, do you come up with the fills before you go in? No, 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 no.
3: It's a live no. moment. Let me ask you about a specific introduction to a song, and that's Take the Money and Run, Steve Miller Band.
5: Ooh, ooh.
3: This is a story about that is one of the greatest intros of all time, and I'm wondering, how was that written? All right,
7: can, can I preface that a little bit? Of course, we set it up so you understand. My starting beginnings with Steve Miller were way back in 1971 on one album, Journey from Eden. And then I didn't start working with Steve again until 74. And there's many reasons. I'm going to leave all that out. But Steve uh, came up with a absolute plan of recording. And he reached me and set it up with just me, him, and wonderful Mr. Lonnie Turner on bass, who wrote Jungle Love. And he said, um, we're going to attack for about a week. Um, come on up here in my house in Novato. And here we go. I said, okay, what's the plan? And he said, uh, we're going to put together a whole series of songs that will fit like, together like chapters in a book. Let's see what happens. Every day we were working at uh, CBS studios in San Francisco and going back and forth across the bridge. Uh, and it was a wonderful time. It was just a glorious time. And basically he said to me, he goes, look, um, come up with something. This is why I'm putting you together with Lonnie and we're going to go in there and I'm giving you free reign. Wow. Um, go ahead and come up with uh, every idea you've got, whatever you want to add, whatever you want to invent. Just let me know. And that's exactly what happened, Clint. Wow. Um, We set up with the three pieces because when you're, when you're looking for the beginnings of a song, working with three pieces, drums, bass, and guitar, or drums, bass, and keyboard, whichever it may be, it's, The easiest to find the three parts that fit, that work. You add a fourth part, you're adding another part, another uh, uh, loop on the equation. If you add a fifth, now you are really got an equation that's got to fall into place. So all of the Steve Miller tunes were basically a trio. So when it came to that song, uh, we are firing away, playing letter A, which is your basic pulse, finding the tempo, which was extremely important in record making find the temple for it to work lyrically so you can get the words out lyrically maybe people do or do not know this but in recording uh, that tempo, like even going back to the joker when he did the joke the joker was extremely slow
4: some people call me the space cowboy yeah some call a lot yeah, of bands you
7: hear the, them play the songs and reinterpret these songs and a lot of times what happens is they become faster. And the bands that, um, you know, interpret them, they accidentally speed them up. And all of a sudden you've got a different animal. It's very, to play that song, is it's important to do that tempo. So at that point in that song, I just said to Steve, I said, look, I've got an intro. Can I do it? Let me open it up. And he said, yes, go, just go. I came up with that on the spot and we just kept playing. And Lonnie uh, literally was right by the baffle in the drum and he was set up looking over the top of the baffle so we could have eye contact and I would just give him head nods and we'd look we'd eye contact. Then Steve had a microphone bark out directions if needed without lyric and we were experimenting with the mechanic of the song. And Once we got it um, all Steve would do is kind of go, all right, coming around to the verse. Here we go. Go and <clears throat> play and fill where you want to. But that entire intro was mine. Wow. And he said, yeah. And if we didn't stop the song, we just kept going. And he said, yeah, that's acceptable. I think I did want it. got a little too complicated. I said, no, no, that's that's a drummer fill. That's for the drummers. We got to get the record fill. There's a difference. Big difference. Yeah, big difference. And uh, just enough to make the record interesting, but not to go over the top where you miss it. Right. So that's how that came came to be. All of those hits, the only song that had an extra person in it was the actual Fly Like an Eagle. We brought, yeah, we brought in that day Steve had found out that uh, Carlos Santana was uh, auditioning some people for the new band and he knew an organ player named Wahim Young was in San Francisco to audition with the Santana band and so he hired Wahim because he knew he was one of those astute B3 players and you know the B3 organ is just a very special people that play the B3 organ it's very special instrument. Time keeps
4: on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future.
7: So, Wahim came in and we did Fall Like an Eagle in three takes. And that performance is live.
4: I want to fly like an eagle to the sea, fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me, I want to fly like an eagle, till I'm free, I'll
7: go the revolution, feed the babies. <laughs> and that's how that happened, but all the rest of the tracks, pretty much through our, our entire time with steve of knocking all those hits out which we didn't know they were hits at the time of course um we were going after one album well we got to a point where the one album steve realized hold it can you stay up here for an extra month i said sure let's go it's all i have to do is just hang out in san francisco with you and jump across the golden gate bridge this isn't a bad idea yeah uh, and make records i'm 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 in i'm in my glory let's go and uh he said something's happening let's try to go for two albums so that's how fall like an eagle and book of dreams came to be it started off as one week or 10 days of work and it turned into about two months of work work day and we bring them back and play them in the car and bring them back and go okay look let's hang on to take two over there let's put that away what do you think of that okay let's put so we were doing that for about four weeks
4: oh, big old jet don't carry me too far away oh.
7: without any lyric or anything going over the top of it, just settling on there's something in that track that we have to hang on to. There's a character. When did you know they were hits? I can go back to the Van Morrison recordings because if if I go back to as simple as, you know, knocking out the entire Moondance album with, with Van Morrison, that was a New York Manhattan album as soon as we came into playback, and we were listening to playback at the A&R studio in Manhattan, where I'm looking at Elliot uh, Shiner, the engineer, and he's looking at me, and I'm going, we just we finished recording Caravan, and I said, there's something going on here. Yeah, the
4: caravan is on its way. I can't Yeah, the caravan is my friends.
7: There's something on our but you're dealing with Van Morrison. Now you're dealing with a guy who really is in the world of, of, of rock and roll and pop, but Actually, the album prior, I'm getting way off course here, Cal, but here we go. Um, yep. album, the album prior to the Moondance album, which is huge, of course, it turned into his pivotal record, was an album that drew me to him, which is an album called Astral Weeks. Yes. Now, Astral Weeks, to me, is a jazz album. Right. They have never been able to really categorize Astral Weeks.
4: If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream
7: They want to put it in the rock category, eh, not easy. Folk category, eh, not so easy. (laughs) Jazz category, not really that easy because you don't have, except for one song, there's no real bebop swing jazz group going on from the drums in any of the songs. They're just more streams of consciousness one of my favorite jazz bass players of all time upright jazz bass players was richard davis and to me that was the richard davis van morrison album i couldn't believe what i was hearing coming from him
4: from the far side of the ocean have i put the wheels in motion
7: And he's going back and forth between two basic chord changes like a G and a C, right? And you're hearing Richard Davis do every alteration he could possibly go with. And I'm going, wait a minute, I heard that and I said, wow, I ought to work with this guy. It's just doing something totally different. They've mixed a chemical, several chemicals the right way. You're going to have to throw up a, a yellow flag if I go off course here too much.
4: You were born before the wind, also oh, younger than the sun. Yeah, the Bonnie boat was won as we sail into the mystic.
7: You've
3: worked with some of the most amazing artists ever in the history of rock and roll. What's your
7: favorite oh, record you've be ever been a part of? You're killing me with that question. <laughs> Somewhere in the mid, early mid 90s, I I wound up working with a guy named Bruce Springsteen, which wasn't bad. He's Pray
4: a prayer book out of his sleeping bag. Preacher lights up, but intakes the drag. Waiting for when the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In a box, near the cardboard box, neither the are back. One way ticket to the promised land You got a hole in your belly and in your
7: hand Working with a guy like that and you're going, you know, he seems to know how to sing a song and he seems to know how to write a song and perform it. And, you know, can just get on stage and do four hours.
4: The highway is alive now The it's headed, everybody knows Wow. So if you spread
7: it out amongst everybody, and I, did, you know, way before, way early, I did an album with Bonnie Raitt, who plays guitar and sings some of the most heartbreaking material in the world.
4: So you think the man is crazy? He eats up your life? Oh, he don't even cry. He is not a fool. He is just trying to do what his heart says to,
7: to love you. The six albums with Van.
4: the with from across the street Got in my nose yeah. yeah, we carried our letters down the street With the wrought iron gate rose I went home and listened to Jimmy Rogers In my lunch break At the shop on the corner, and went straight back to work.
7: God, almost almost twenty years with Steve Miller Band, inventing all that stuff. I wound up doing a, a full two day session with uh, Los Lobos I wound up being on one of their songs that became one of their big singles which was called Wake Up Dolores I was in the studio there with David Hidalgo and we cut the track by ourselves it became what we call the one track that you smile to, you just go wow this thing is doing something My
4: legs are tired My legs
7: And little things like that happened to me with, you know, a little bit with Joni Mitchell back then and, and kept going. So, OK, so three, I mean, look, three songs, if you, you know, everything on Moon Dance has been used somewhere in a motion picture somewhere. And, you know, you, you know, even uh, one of the songs off that called uh, Glad Tidings from New York. Wound up being the last song in the last episode and the last scene of uh of uh the Sopranos and you
4: in and the that you kiss will say Christmas hear the mass that you
7: and i said oh my god somebody's got to here some music supervisor somewhere put that together and it was perfect it was like well lyrically it works doesn't it i mean i'm going yeah that's the last scene last episode and they put it in there and i said there you go pretty much everything i've ever done with with van i mean you can i can name it the mystic i yeah i mean you're kidding right i play that song every week in a band <laughs>
4: Let your soul and spirit fly into
7: the misty. You know, that's Van playing the rhythm guitar, started it off, and the band, the Moondance Unit, was there and we just kind of looked at each other and just said, Okay, here we go. That's exactly what happened. And he I, and I might like, he's not playing a, a you know off twenty thousand dollar acoustic guitar that's a basic ovation right with the with the pot belly you know the yeah, round I pot do. belly. you know I'm talking about, from back then and and you know he tuned it up and, and away we went and that's the track that was the take
4: yeah, suddenly we will until the
7: you go from him and you jump on all the Steve Miller stuff I mean as I talked about before with, with, with Steve you know the variation how versatile some of those songs were I mean Dance 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 was our little country tune yeah. and it worked
4: My grandpa he's 95 and he keeps on dancing he's still alive My grandma she's 92 she loves to and sing some too. I don't know, but I, I've been told if you keep on dancing, you'll never grow old. Come on, darling, put a pretty dress on. We're gonna go out tonight. Dance, dance, dance. Dance, dance, dance. Dance, 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 dance all night long. I'm a hard
7: worker, and then. I forgot about that one little character that came out of New York City that wound up moving to San Francisco and was Eddie Money. And, you know, I did all the Eddie's, pretty much all his hits. (music) And that once again was due to the fact that Bruce Botnick, produced it, producer of The Doors. My engineer on that record was responsible for the engineering duties on Zeppelin. That was Andy Johns. Between Glenn Johns and Andy Johns and Geoff Emmert of all the British engineers, those guys did, at that time, probably a, the high percentage of everything that came out of Great Britain. So, and I worked with them all. Bruce Botnick, I will tell you, is a brilliant producer. He knew how to use the rhythm section. And he put me together, they called me and Lonnie Turner. They said we're gonna use the Steve Miller band rhythm section. And between me and Lonnie we we knocked out that first record. Was the big hits was Two Tickets to Paradise and I think I'm in Love, uh Baby Hold On to Me.
4: Baby hold on to me, whatever will be will be the future
7: You know Eddie Eddie was primed, he was just right at that peak. You know, rock and roll has many, many categories, many categories of of songwriting and of, of production, what's going on in there lyrically, and what is the song doing, and does that song belong to the band? And are they the song, or is the song them, or, or are they outside the song? That's a tough one. And anybody that's produced, gotten in there, and I have, and produced, you're not just producing a band, You you're trying to find out where those songs emanate from, and if they belong to the band. If that's exactly their their rhythmic power.
3: Working with somebody like Bruce Botnick, specifically in the drum fill realm, how much would those producers get in there and
7: tell you what to play? Was it ever like that, or was it always you just doing the thing? When I got into that studio, he basically said to me, and mainly Bruce. Botnick said to me, he goes, you know why you're here, don't you? And I said, yeah, I think so. He goes, just go for it. Ooh, hold up I always had a freeway because of how I started off so it was like you know when i walked in the studio the four words that i would want to hear wasn't hey what do you want for lunch i wanted to hear come up with something yeah when i hear those words come up with something now you've got me now i'm like full on i'm in it's a complete dialysis okay you want that you're gonna get it I will give it to you without fear and uh, uh, I'm there for a reason uh, I'll deliver yep. without fear even look even working with, with Bruce when we did Lucky Town I said I'm gonna play on, on, underneath you but is it okay if I I slam in certain spots and do this and he goes that's why you're here
3: What's your personal favorite drum fill that you've ever played? <laughs> oh. Do it. Just give me one.
7: You're, you're not allowed to
3: do that to me, man. <laughs> I There was a second after we worked together that I would listen to classic rock radio and like every fifth song was you.
7: <laughs> Clint, I'm, I'm telling you right now. I mean, I'm receiving emails from people that are going, you know, you're on the radio like five times a day. Um... Okay, I'll answer that without going on and without making this lengthy. There's five of them for all different reasons, but I'll, I'll go to one, okay? Okay. I'll go to one that's got a connection to my hometown. No, I invented the entire drum part to swing town. the drum beat that starts with the drums and it comes up and fades up, okay? Yeah. That I wrote, I went to the University of Buffalo for two years and I was in marching band. I wrote that way back then for the drum section because I was head of the drum section on the snare. And when that came time with Steve, um, we were in the studio in San Francisco and he had that little... I didn't think much of that song. And I remember Steve, this is a true story. Steve left the the studio room, control room. He had to take a call from Capitol Records. And I was in there with Lonnie and I leaned over to Lonnie and I said, Lonnie, this tune is going nowhere. It needs needs to come from somewhere before it could go somewhere. So I've got something, I'm gonna play it. You come up with a bass line, Just come up with like four or five notes in amongst what I'm doing. Lonnie came over. And and I looked at him. I said, "Uh oh, I think we got something. Steve came running back into the room. He heard it through the walls. He gets on the mic and he goes, don't stop. And that's the start. And that became Swinton. And that's how it went for the next three weeks.
4: Come on and dance, come on and dance. Let's make some romance. I know the night is falling and the music's calling and we got to get down to swing down.
7: That's one only because of its strange origin. That's why I mentioned it. But I love my drum fills on the Eddie Money on, on Two Tickets of Paradise. Two Dicks of Paradise is a real take. If you hear that from top to bottom, that's a real take. That solo by Jimmy Lyon took place. Wow. Yeah, and that's Andy Johns engineering it, and, and we played that song pretty much all day, and we had it in take three, and I looked at Bruce Botnick, and he looked at me, and he held up three fingers. I said, yeah, I know. We'll just keep doing it to make Eddie happy. And by the way, I miss Eddie. He was my neighbor out here in Thousand Oaks. He lived not far from me, so. I miss not having them around. That was very tragic. Very hard.
5: Yeah.
7: But that was, uh, there's something about the Eddie Money, some of the Eddie Money fills that I love. And some of my fills on uh, Lucky Town with Bruce, he let me let me put them in. And, uh, but the ones that live, they're living for a particular reason. So they're still being played. I've got two tickets to
4: paradise
3: can't thank you enough for doing this. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Okay. Stay Hopefully. ahead the guys. I will, definitely.
5: Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.
2: Wow. Gary, thank you so much. Wow. Oh, thanks, buddy. Holy moly. So good to reconnect. So I think we did it. From my perspective, we settled this once I, and for all. I mean, the greatest drum fill of all time is Take Your Pick by Gary Malibur. Grab bag,
3: <laughs> Gary Malibur. <laughs> Hashtag in the air tonight. Hashtag, maybe it's in the air tonight. <laughs> but yes, all right, we did it. We did it. I think we, we don't always did. do it. No, but
2: we did it. We did it today. Boom. We hope you had a great time, as much fun as us, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at the Age Old Question.
3: Facebook, the Age Old Question.
2: We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments.
3: But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating.
1: 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only